Well, my name is Jeff. If we haven't met yet, thanks for being here. If you were here last week, we talked about blessing, and I warned you that we were talking about curse, and you either forgot or you came back anyway, so good job, or, or you smelled the tacos. I, I told them in the kitchen, I was like, these are the hardest sermons for me to preach because my stomach is like tacos, uh, but Jesus is cooler than tacos, so we'll be, we'll be okay. But I will start with a food story. I always think, is, why do you remember them? Why do you have the memories? You always, why do I remember this and not that? But I remember this. Uh, I have two older sisters, Debbie and Catherine. They are nine and six years older than me. And I, was, I must have been like six, seven, or eight years old because my oldest sister was not in college yet. But my mom and dad had headed out. I don't know, I don't know where they were going. I just remember that they had left my sisters in charge and my sisters like to be in charge, though so I'll paint them in a good way, even though I'm not sure it was as good as I'm going to paint them, but that's fine. But they had the power. My mom had decided to bless us since they were going out, and she bought, now this is 30 years ago, more than that, actually, almost 35, maybe, maybe more than that. I'm getting old. Anyway, so, they, but they were, uh, my mom had bought mozzarella cheese sticks, big deal back then. I mean, it's still cool, but big. I mean, and it wasn't like you go to a restaurant, you get mozzarella, you get like six. No, this was like a cookie sheet of mozzarella cheese sticks. And they had been in the oven, and they had been melting to perfection. And my mom and dad had left, and my sisters brought out the mozzarella cheese sticks along with the other food that we were eating. I don't even remember. I just know that we had mozzarella cheese sticks. And, I, and I, in, my, in my mind, I look, and I see my sisters, two other older siblings, and I see a limited number of mozzarella cheese sticks. And so I take as much as I can before they get it, so I can get mine first, right? And I remember, this is where I'm not sure it went this nicely, but I'll do it for the sake of my sisters. I remember my sisters in some way, shape, or form looking at me and saying, Jeff, you took a lot of cheese sticks, more than we're going to get because you took all those. So here's your moment. You get to decide. You can put some of them back on the tray so that your sisters can have them, or you can keep them all on your plate, but you are not allowed out of your seat until you eat every last one of those. Well, I remember kind of thinking about it a little bit, but not trust. I didn't trust my sisters at this moment. I thought it was some crafty ploy to try to steal my treasure from me. So I kept all those cheese sticks on my plate. And I ate all my food until there were about four or five cheese sticks left, and I was full. And some of it was like just like I'm mad at them for enforcing their power over me. And some of it's like I'm full and I can't eat another bite. But I go to get up, and they're like, nope, sit down, little brother. <laughs> you sit down, and you stay there. And I remember being mad, and I remember tears. <laughs> and my sisters thought it was hilarious, and I did not maybe matter. And about 90 minutes later, I don't know if you remember or have had cheese sticks that just sit out for wait. 90 minutes later, I'm like, I really have to eat these, or I won't get out of the chair. And so I ate, they're just nasty, like they're not, they're not gooey and fresh, and you know what I'm talking about. That was my consequence for taking too many cheese sticks and not eating them at the appropriate time. It'll kind of set us up, it's a, it's a silly story, but I was thinking about it this week as I was thinking about how to talk about these curses in Deuteronomy. There's a real sense that I was given a warning and I ignored, oh, some of it was I didn't trust the person giving the warning, but I, I ignored the warning and I had to endure the consequences. I could not, my sisters would not let me out of my seat 
until I ate those stinking cheese sticks. So that's what happened. Now, what we're going to do today, we've been journeying through Deuteronomy since January 1st, and we're reading. Last week, we did the blessings. This week, we're doing the curses. And they're, they're, real, they're real warnings. And I want to spend a little time because, and we'll talk about what's going on and why, and there's more going on in this story, but we'll read through them. But I want to kind of invite us into the bigger story. I, I could just read through Deuteronomy 27 and Deuteronomy 28 and then just get real fiery and be like, hate it, live in fear of the curses. I could do that. Um, and I think there's an element of this, but I want to put it in the bigger story and I want to get us to Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. And just to remind you the context, the Israelites had been in Egypt and they had been formed under the oppressive leadership of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh did not love them. He used them. They were slaves. They did his bidding. And they cried out to their God. Because uh, no one signs up for that. They cried out to their God, and God heard their cry. And God rescues them from Egypt. And he leads them through the wilderness. And where we are right now is we are on the edge of the promised land. And what God is doing, though, is he's like, look, I, got so, I, I didn't just free you to free you. I, I didn't just free you so you didn't have to deal with Pharaoh anymore. I freed you so that you could be a light to the darkness in this world. And so you've, you've learned some things under the oppressive, tyrannical leadership of Pharaoh. I need you to unlearn those things, and I'm giving you this law so that I can form you into a people who love God and love one another. Right? That's how Jesus summarizes the law, love God and love your neighbor. And so this law has been a gift to form them into a different kind of people. And as we talked about last week, as you live into the design and you live out your calling to be someone who loves God and reflects his love into the world, loves others as you've been loved, then, then really blessing comes with that. Right? This, you're living according. And you can be, what did we say last week at the end? You can be in a Japanese-led internment camp in, in World War II like Eric Liddell we talked about last week, and you can still know the blessings of God. Because there's something about living into his design of love that we'll talk about today. But if you rebel, you do what looks good in your own eyes, then these curses come along. And these curses come from breaking the rules. I mean, as you read through it, it is. But, but as we've been going through Deuteronomy, I think what the author has been trying to tell us is that it's more than just breaking the rules. When we live outside of God's design, we begin to become something we were never intended to be. Sometimes when we talk about sin, we define it as missing the mark, that God's given us a target, a standard, and anytime we deviate from our goal or from our design or from our target, our standard in Jesus, we miss the mark of who we're supposed to be. And if we stay on this course, if we, we miss the mark and we stay on that course, we become distorted into someone eventually unknown by God. And if you were with us last week, it's really dangerous because what did we say? God alone is our source of life. And God alone is our source of, of blessing. And so if you, are, if you are unknown by the source of life and the source of blessing, well, then you're in for a world of death and curse. Like there's just, there's not a lot of hope outside of that. It's dangerous to be there. Something happens through sin that causes us to lose our connection with God. And when we lose that connection, we really do kind of go the way of nature. 
It's easy for us to just fall into this survival of the fittest where we're out to dominate and get what's mine before. I want to get my cheese sticks before my sisters do because I want them for me. Survival of the fittest. Whoever has the strongest and gets theirs first. I want to dominate. I want to rule. Another way of saying this is we all struggle with a false self, a shadow of ourselves that ultimately has no substance and cannot exist. The false self is the self I want to be but can never exist because the false self is the one who says, I want the world to revolve around me. I want to be at the center of all things. I want to dominate and win. I want what I want when I want it. And often I I do, I imagine this self. I imagine the world being at my beck and call. I imagine people pleasing me. I imagine the whole world arranged around my self-interest. But that self can never really exist because God knows nothing about that self. That's not who God created. That's not who God has called you to be. God says that this self you're trying to become, I don't know who that is. You see this in Jesus in the Gospels. I never knew you. I don't, I don't know if, if that's the self you're trying to bring. I don't know who that is. And if the source of life doesn't know you, then you are in a path. It's a false self. It doesn't exist. You could say to be unknown by God is to be lost in the ultimate sense because God is the source of life. And despite God's warnings in Deuteronomy and beyond, we try to bring the false self into existence and and we wind around it bandages of achievement and success and pleasures because we run after other gods. It's a big part of Deuteronomy's warnings. We run after other gods. And so we create this false self and it becomes like a mummy, right? We've wrapped it up in, in our achievements and our successes and our pleasures and our approval, but it's actually empty on the inside. And at the end, when all of that evaporates because the grass withers and the flower fades away, when all these pleasures and achievements and awards and success turn to dust, we find that there's nothing there. We, we were never a person of substance. We were a zero, <laughs> Some of you know that my academic background is chemical engineering, so I love math. And in 1 Corinthians 13, I think Paul gives us a version of the mathematics of love. Paul says, anything minus love equals nothing. You wrap yourself up, this false, but but there's no love, there's no substance. You're not living for love of God and love of neighbor. There's nothing there. God says, I don't know you. And all of that wrapping of the false self is a desperate attempt to make a false self real and it can never succeed. And in many ways, this is what the curses are trying to tell us, trying to warn us. You run after other gods. You live for other things. You disobey God. We'll talk about you go against the grain of love. Right? You go with the grain of wood, it's just smooth. You go against it, you get shards in your skin. You go against the grain of love and... Well, this is the curse. This is what happens. I mean, in some ways, you, you know this from your own experience. You know this from your own experience. But this is what God's trying to warn us of. So a few more things before we actually read. We'll read some of the curses, not all of them, because there's a lot of them in Deuteronomy. But, but the first thing that I, and we'll probably end with this as well, just in terms of how do we respond. But, but your decisions matter. 
I think this is one of the reasons why these curses are so prevalent here at this point in the story. Inherent in an Old Testament theology of blessings and curses is an absolute refusal to trivialize life. Life's decisions matter. Taking the curse seriously means that a person's decisions in this life really bear enduring consequences. The choices you make matter. In fact, that's really kind of how our section ends, Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20. This is what Moses says. Remember, Deuteronomy is mostly sermons that Moses gave to the people to prepare them to enter the promised land. And this is how Moses kind of ends this sermon. Today, I have given you the choice between life and death. I'm giving you the choice between blessings and curses. He says, now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. That's what God wants. He wants us to choose. He's, he's rooting for us. Choose life. He's, 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 he's doing everything he can to call us, to invite us into his life. But he knows there's all kinds of temptations out there and we may choose death. Choose life, he says. Oh, that your descendants might live. I want you to know life. And life is found in this relationship with the source of life, in this relationship with the God in whose image we were created. Verse 20, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God. Learn to love God. Obey him. Commit yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life if you love God. And it'll be clear as we've been walking through with Deuteronomy, and again, it makes sense in in the book, loving God means in this sense obeying him, trusting him. And if you do this, you will live long in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your decisions matter. And even today, even tomorrow, even the next day, you are going to be invited to choose life or choose death. Choose God or choose some false God. That is just always before us. The second thing I want to say as we kind of try to walk into the bigger picture is that I like to say the Old Testament is having a conversation with itself. You get all these different threads and these different voices, and we're going to get... So if we, if we just go with blessing and curse in Genesis, you get more blessing than curse in Genesis. You just do. And it's kind of book, the bookends of these first five books of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, we get more, ble- or more curse than blessing. It's just, it's part of the conversation. And, and as you read through the curses in Deuteronomy, it's going to raise questions. And you're going to keep reading and you're going to get to a book like Job where other questions are raised. The Old Testament in many ways is having a conversation with itself. And Deuteronomy is just one, it's like one tile in a bigger mosaic. And I really, it's important because if you're new to church and you start today by reading Deuteronomy 27 and 28, you are not going to have the full picture of who God is. It's an important picture, and we value the Bible here across you. But if you want the full picture, we start in the Gospels with Jesus. Because Jesus is the clearest expression of who God is. He brings clarity to the Old Testament. The Old Testament is getting us to Jesus. It's fulfilled in Jesus And if you want the ultimate clarity, you just look at Jesus on the cross because that tells you God's heart for you. And it will help us understand some of what's going on with these curses. But as we give Deuteronomy its voice, because it's a voice in the conversation and it needs to be heard, then part of what this tile in the bigger mosaic is telling us is that God takes seriously the evil and the horror of what humans are perpetually doing to each other throughout human history. God takes seriously the amount of suffering and evil that humans have caused and that humans do to one another. 
And if you're reading Deuteronomy clearly, you will see that this generates a passionate response from God. I mean, that's why he wants us to be a people who love our neighbor. <laughs> because then maybe we won't be so mean to each other. And we'll put other people's interests ahead of ourselves from time to time, and we'll learn a different way to be human. It's a journey we go on. The other thing that's important, I can't really do this justice this morning. I can point you to literature or you can ask me questions, but it's worth saying that these, this, this, this framework in Deuteronomy is very much in line with, with an ancient Near Eastern covenantal treaty. And we can read, there's other treaties from this time period that look, I mean, they're different. I mean, obviously what God does is he's always transforming things with grace. But, but, but the structure and the format is very similar to other historical documents they have. And, and we have, and they all are heavy on curse at the end. <laughs> and so there's probably two ways you can say this as you wrestle, wrestle with divine and human authorship with the Bible. But on one level, we could say, well, God is just using the language that people would be familiar with because this was the language of their day when he's using this covenantal treaty format. Or you could just say, as Moses is preaching these sermons, he's using the format that he understands because that's all he knows. That's what he knows. That's the world he lives in. But you get a lot more curse at the end of these treaties. This is throughout the history. You see that at this time period. And it's, it's rhetorical. They're cranking up the volume to get your attention. This is really important. That's why they're, this, this, I mean, we're, this is life and death. So it's really important. Pay attention. This isn't just, uh, do I want Panera? Do I want Chipotle? No, it's, it's life and death, right? It's always trying to get your attention, and they're doing it through this format. And then finally, the last thing I'll say, and then we'll, we'll read through some of these curses here. But the, the final, whether you want to say author or maybe redactor or editor of Deuteronomy is not Moses. So it's mostly sermons from Moses, but we know that the book in its final form wasn't finished by Moses because it tells us about his death. So we know Moses didn't do that, right? And it's likely, even the way, and we'll talk about the end of Deuteronomy later on as we get near to the end of the series and Moses' death, because kind of some cool things are happening in the biblical narrative around that, just to get you excited for that. It's kind of cool. But, but we, we, get the, we get the sense that they don't even know where Moses' grave is. It's been a long time. And so as, you know, as the Old Testament is being put together and, you know, just as through the years of worship as Israel, is a, you know, they've got these individual books and they come together and they get arranged with, with intentionality to teach us about God and life with God. You, you've got somebody who's down the road and you've got somebody who is living under these curses. I mean, that's what you've got. This person is is, is highlighting the curses because they see where they're sitting in the history of Israel, possibly in exile. And they're like, this is why we're in exile. Because we haven't been able to keep the covenant. Now, again, next week we'll get into this more. Why is Israel never able to keep the covenant? That'll be more. What, what needs to happen? What needs to change? And Deuteronomy is going to just point us right to the New Testament. But we'll get there next week. But, but the point is the author here knows where the story is going. That the people just are never faithful and they end up in exile. That the covenant form of Deuteronomy is helping the generations of the exile see that they didn't end up being conquered by Babylon because somehow Babylon's God was more powerful than their God. Or that God forgot about them or fell asleep on the job 
No, they know as they read through De- Deuteronomy that they are in exile because of their own decisions. That they were warned ahead of time, if you take that many cheese sticks, you're not getting out of the chair until you eat them all. And now they are living through the consequences of their decisions. Or you could say it this way, which again, I think is remarkable. It's one of these things You study history, and it's pretty common in history that when you're conquered by another nation, you just assume that their God is more powerful than your God, and you worship their God. But that never happened with the Israelites, right? They were stubbornly faithful to their God. And this is some of the reason why. Deuteronomy is a defense of God's integrity. God was always and only faithful to the terms of the covenant as they were agreed upon. And his people chose curse over blessing, and they chose death over life. So let's read. I'll give you, we'll we'll start in Deuteronomy 27, and I'll give you a little bit of like what, it'll give you a picture of what's going on. I'm not going to read all the curses because there's a lot. But 27 verse 1, then Moses and the leaders of Israel gave this charge to the people, obey, this is just this, it just is on repeat in Deuteronomy, obey all these commands that I am giving you today. And when you cross the Jordan River, and I want you to see that because it's an important detail. We're going to come back to that when we talk about Jesus. But when you cross the Jordan River and enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Uh, So again, even as you got bookends of Genesis and Deuteronomy here in the first five books of the Bible, in Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden experiencing this gift of life because God's first step towards us is blessing in life. Just one command. That's all they have, one command to obey, and they can eat of the tree of life forever in the presence of God, and they disobey. And so in Genesis, it begins with Adam and Eve breaking the one commandment and then being exiled from the Garden of Eden. Well, now we're on the back half of this story, the other bookend, the, the other bun in the sandwich. And now you have the whole people of God kind of reconstituting Adam and Eve. And now they're not just given one commandment, they're given a bunch of commandments and they're going to write them out on this stone and they're about to enter into the promised land, which is kind of hopefully a renewed Eden in a sense. It's a gift from God, and, but it's, it's contingent on will they love God and will they obey Verse 3, write the whole body of instruction on them, on these stones. When you cross the river, the Jordan River, that enter the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's, it's, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's the one that God has promised you and your ancestors. When you cross those Jordan, now set up these stones at Mount Ebal and coat them with plaster as I am commanding you today. He's going to describe what is, it's going to play out in Joshua. Joshua's going to do this. He's going to obey if you read through Joshua chapter 8, chapter 24. Build an altar to the Lord, natural uncut stones. You got burnt offerings and peace offerings, and then you're going to feast, it says in verse 7. Feast there before the Lord your God. And this is what you did after you entered into a covenant, this relationship, this agreement. You feasted, you ate a meal together because you don't eat meals with your enemies. You eat meals with friends. And so you're kind of like kind of consummating the relationship here by eating a meal together. You're feasting before the Lord your God as you write out all these instructions. Verse 8. Now, verse 9. Then Moses and the Levitical priests addressed all Israel. says, O Israel, be quiet. Listen, today you have become the people of the Lord your God, so you must again obey the Lord and keep commands that I'm giving you today. And then that same day, verse 11, Moses also gave this charge to the people. When you cross the Jordan... 
Six of the tribes, we could call them the six fortunate tribes, I guess, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin, you're going to go up this, this hill, Mount Gerizim, and you're going to proclaim a blessing over the people. And the other six tribes across the valley, you guys drew the short straw, the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali, you're going to stand on Mount Ebal and you're going to proclaim a curse. And this is kind of this, it's going to play out this way. And then the Levites are going to shout all the, uh, to all the people of Israel. And now we're in it. Now we're into this, this liturgy of curse. Again, meant to get your attention. This is serious. This is life and death. Cursed is anyone who carves or casts an idol and secretly sets it up. Again, this is kind of the core. Anyone who gives away their allegiance from God to a false God. These, these, these idols, the work of craftsmen, are detestable to the Lord. When you try to make a God in your own image, when you've been made in the image of the one true God, cursed is anyone who does that, and the people say amen. I mean, all of these are outworkings of the laws that have proceeded in Deuteronomy. Cursed is anyone who dishonors father or mother, the people say amen. Cursed is anyone who steals property from a neighbor by moving a boundary marker, who doesn't love their neighbor, amen. Cursed is anyone who leads a blind person astray, amen. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. All the people reply, amen. I mean, I've never been through a cursed liturgy like that. It's interesting. It makes you think. That's what the people did before they entered the land. And again, I think it's a way of making a clear kind of a liturgical form, a formal way of saying, if you do what's good in your own eyes, you will experience the curse, and the curse is death. And, and God, through Moses is, and through the Levites, is, is trying to say, let me help you understand that death is not a good thing. And we're going to go through this liturgy to make it, let it sink in what, what you're deciding today. This is so important. And if you distance yourself from God, from the source of your life, if you betray or make choices to separate yourself from God, that's going to take you out of the land of the living where God wants to bless you. And it's going to, you're going to choose to enter into the land of curse and death. So we'll pick up in Deuteronomy 28. Again, long chapter. We read verses 1 to 14 last week and we talked about blessing. And that was, that was fun, right? Everybody loved to talk about blessing. But here, starting in verse 15, you're going to see kind of the the inverse of this, and it's kind of the opposite. If you don't obey, you're going to experience the curse, and you're going to experience the consequences of your choices. Or another way, I mean, there's lots of ways of thinking about this. God is just going to remove his blessing. Now, as we talked about God's first step towards us is blessing, and as we'll finish today, God's final word to us is blessing. But if you and I are going to rebel and abandon God and run after our own gods made in our own image, then God just pulls the blessing. And what his blessing is, because he's the source of life, he's the only source of life, he's bringing order out of our chaos. You remove that source of life and now it's just all chaos. Some of you know that from experience, it's just chaos. Without God, your life is total chaos. And so you get these curses. Verse 15, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and, and you do not obey all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come and they will overwhelm you. And you don't have to read through 27 and 28, but if you do, there is, a, because, because we'll get to how Jesus meets us in the midst of this, but there is a piece of me that's like, it might be good for you to be overwhelmed by this. 
like wrestle with what is it? How does the Bible de- depict life outside of God's loving care? And maybe you should be overwhelmed. Maybe there's decisions you're making in your life right now, and you're way too flippant about it. You're just way too at ease about it. And the Spirit of God is banging on your head. No, 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 no. Please pay attention. This is where that leads. And you know what's tragic for me as a pastor? is that sometimes the consequences of our decisions don't show up for 10 or 20 years. I mean, if if you have any inkling of trust in Jesus, listen to him. If the Spirit of God is stirring in you, and if something came up when we were doing that corporate confession, pay attention because God actually wants to rescue from 20 years of curse. You don't have to throw your life away. Let him redeem what the locusts eat. Just run home to the, be, be the prodigal who runs home to your loving father whose arms are wide open. Uh, sorry, I got to keep reading here. 28. So here's, here's what overwhelms you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be cursed. The, your children and crops will be cursed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, cursed. I mean, it's heavy. 20, verse 20, the Lord himself will send on you curses, confusion, frustration in everything you do until at last you are completely destroyed. Why? Because you've done evil, you've lived outside of God's design, you've gone against the grain of love, and you abandoned God. You abandoned your only hope, your only source for life, the one who brings order out of chaos. Now, if you keep reading through Deuteronomy 28, you'll see, you'll see a lot of interesting language. There's going to be some like reversing of some of the creation language of, of the Garden of Eden. You get, you get some decreation language. I told you that big story, what God is trying to do is trying to make Israel into a radically different kind of people than who they were in Egypt. Don't learn from Pharaoh, learn from the one true God. And so you're even going to get language where like, if you return and you act like Pharaoh... You're going to get the same plagues Pharaoh got. You're going to experience the same curse as Egypt got. That's that's what's going to unfold for you. And one author said it this way. I thought this was a decent summary of Deuteronomy 28. The cursed man is the man for whom everything fails. The paralysis is in him. Whatever he puts his hand to, illness, drought, crop failure, defeat is the result. He is so dissolved and confused in his soul that he staggers on blindly. If he takes a wife, she is taken away by another. If he builds a house or plants a vineyard, others will reap the benefit of his efforts, provided there be any fruit at all. The power to create posterity fails, and his people shrink in significance. His way of life is shattered about the world, and he finds peace nowhere and all love disappears. As I said, these are all warnings about going against the grain of love. This is just what, these are the consequences of living outside of God's design. I was thinking about it. There's a lot of roads around us and the surrounding, you know, we're kind of like this island surrounded by fields. And there's a lot of country roads that are going straight and then there's a curve, right? Usually you're driving 55 miles an hour and then there's a yellow diamond that says 45 miles an hour curve, right? Now, my wife, just who is a person of high integrity, sees a sign like that and says, I am most loving to anyone in my car and to those driving the other way if I slow down to 45. I see that and I'm like, 45? 
Is that a challenge? I can take this at 55. I'll be just fine. If it's rainy or snowy, maybe I'll slow down, but I'm, I'm pushing 55. Don't tell me to slow. I can drive a car. But I have pushed that in my mind. How arrogant will I go? I'll do 55 there, and I, I feel pretty safe. But would I do 65? Would I do 75? I don't care how arrogant and prideful I am. I do 85 on those turns. I'm off the road. I'm off the road. Right? There is a warning. If you want to choose this, this is what's going to happen. It's, it's not about whether you, I mean, it's not, I mean, there, there are rules, but, there, but, but it's not about did you break the rule or keep the rule, but, but who are you becoming? And do you realize if you operate outside of who God has called you to be, the source of life doesn't know you. I, I, I never knew you. And you're just flying off the road into the field at best, right? At worst, something much more tragic. And then Deuteronomy 29, let's look at this. I thought this was interesting. This kind of came out kind of was presented to me in my study. Deuteronomy 29, you, you see this, picking up in verse 24, all the surrounding nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why is he so angry? And the answer will be, this happened because the people of the land abandoned the covenant that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke covenant. They walked away. They abandoned their God. Instead, they turned away to serve and worship gods they had not known before, gods that were not from the Lord. They're worshiping other gods. Their allegiance is broken. And this is why the Lord's anger has burned against this land, bringing down on it every curse recorded in this book. And in great anger and fury, the Lord uprooted his people from their land, and he banished them to another land, and they still live today there. That's, that's the, I mean, again, prophesying this exile that would come for the people of God. But I want you to see that the curses are brought down because the people abandoned God and ran after other gods. I think that's pretty clear in the text that I've read. So I found it very interesting to come across this in Deuteronomy 28, verse 36. We're in the midst of the curses and the consequences and the punishments. Verse 36, the Lord will exile you, that's what I was just reading, and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. And there in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. <laughs> in other words, part of the punishment for Israel is getting what they wanted. <laughs> I actually think, I mean, it's really interesting studying Deuteronomy, how much of the logic of Deuteronomy comes through the teaching of Jesus and how often this is in the background of what Paul is arguing. I, I, I was like reading through these curses and I just kept hearing Romans 1 when Paul says, God will give you over. If that's what you want, God will give you over. If you think these other gods are a source of life and you're committed to it, then God's like, all right, go ahead and see what they provide. I mean, that's the biblical definition of shame. When you and I run after a false god, believing that they're going to give us something and they don't deliver on their promises, that's, that's, we're, we're naked and ashamed. We've been exposed. We've trusted in a false god. And God's like, well, if you want to, there's all kinds of false gods. If you want, I'm going to give you over. I'm going to let you run after them. And you're going to get your part of your punishment is getting what you want. With the hope, and we'll get into this more as we continue in Deuteronomy, with the hope that you'll see that you're not, now you're in the land of death and curse. So come home. Come home. Cry out to your God again and come home from exile. 
Again, we'll, we'll get there in the future. But, that, but that's what, worshiping other gods is framed as a punishment. It's the imagery of handing people over, giving them what you want. If, that's, if, if you want chaos to grow, God says, go for it. If you give your allegiance to these other gods who have a totally different moral vision of what human life is about, then it's gonna lead to a ruinous human community. God's trying to form you into a people who love God and love one another. The other gods aren't doing that. They're they're promoting your desire for dominance and self-interest and competition. They're making life a game when it's meant to be a gift. And God says you get to choose. God says the very thing that Israel has chosen to lead them away from him is one of their punishments. You get it. And as you read through the curses, you'll see that it feels like the whole environment in your life is fighting against you. If you you actually think about living under this curse, that you put all your effort and you never get back what you you should, You, you never get back enough, and it's just chaos and you're out of control. Have you felt out of control lately? I felt out of control on Tuesday morning. Remember it rained all day Monday? Is that Monday rain? Tuesday morning was super icy. I don't know if you were paying attention, but right, right, right next to the buildings, it was crazy slippery. And we've lived in our house for about five, going on six years. And uh, it was basically Tuesday morning, my garage door opener battery decided to die, right? And those are like real small batteries. I don't have extra ones of those. And so I was kind of excited at first because I had to drive my car out of my garage. And then I got to do the Mission Impossible thing as I ran out of the garage, you know? You've got this laser beam and this closing door, and you got to like get between them on your way through. I love going Mission Impossible on my way out of the garage. You know what I'm talking about? And then I step outside of my garage to get in my car as the garage door is coming down, and it's just solid ice, and I lose control. I'm just flailing around like an idiot, not sure what's going to happen next. And I, my, my house is kind of like on the end of a street, and sure enough, my neighbor's driving right then. They just see this idiot flailing around on the ice, like, what's this guy doing? And I hate that feeling. I mean, you know, the feeling I'm just out of control. It's just pure chaos. And, and there's nothing I can grab on. And I put my foot down and it's just, it's still slippery. There's no foundation. I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm pain. I mean, it's, and, and there's nothing I can do to bring about control. And there's a piece of God saying, look, the curses are like, you're just flailing on ice and you got nothing to grab on. God's like, you really want to live that way? You want to spend your whole life flailing around in ice? Or you know what? You just trust me. And I'm going to give you solid ground. I'm going to be a rock for you. You're going to have constant traction. And you know what? Even if you fall, I just got a pillow there to catch you. I'm there for you. I'm there. But it's your choice. I mean, that's, that's, that's what Deuteronomy is saying. It's your choice. Today is your choice. The covenant promised wonderful blessings for the Israelites, a fruitful land, many descendants, and the opportunity to represent God to the nations and be a conduit of his blessings. But none of those privileges could be realized if they were worshiping other gods or acting treacherously toward their neighbors. For their society to point others to God's character, they would need to reflect that character in every one of their relationships. And if they followed after other gods, if they allowed greed or lust or idolatry a foothold in their community, God would need to discipline them. He would call them to repentance. Rebellion on their part would activate the other side of the covenant, the stern warning expressed in these curses. 
The invitation to covenant with God was itself a gift, not something they earned by good behavior, but it was not a blank check to fill out however they pleased. So God's heart is to bless, but he gives us a choice. And again, we'll get into this more next week about why this is, but Israel again and again and again chooses death and chooses the curse, but our God is so loyal. I mean, this is where we'll start to turn a corner. Our God is so loyal and he's so faithful that he will come and rescue you and he will come and rescue me from the, even the, the very things that we thought we wanted, but we didn't really. I mean, you are always just one head turned back to Jesus away from him. But you got a choice. <laughs> and today is that day. So let's quickly, I'm just going to read through some passages just to give you some texture and then just one more final note about the love of God and then we'll sing to the resurrected Jesus. But I I mentioned the Jordan River. Why do I think that's so important? Well, in Matthew chapter 3, right, Jesus is, and if you don't know this, hear this, Jesus is God in human flesh. He is God come to rescue you and I. And so what that means is he is, the, he is the definition of what it means to be God. Whatever you want to know about God, you learn in Jesus. But he's also the definition of what it means to be human. He is the sinless human being. He always hits the standard. And so in Matthew 3, we see the beginning of his ministry. Verse 13, Jesus went from Galilee, where? To the Jordan River. So he's, he's the new Israel. And I think it's intentional. He's going out to the Jordan River because this is where the beginning of Israel's failures at when they entered the promised land. He's going back out and he's kind of reconstituting Israel in himself. He's the new Israel and he is going to be faithful everywhere Israel failed. It's actually crystal clear in the next story is the temptation of Jesus, which is the, actually the gospel text this week in the church calendar if you're following along. But Jesus is going to be tempted by the enemy, by the, by the Satan, the, the accuser, the devil. And everywhere he's tempted, he is going to quote from Deuteronomy and he is going to succeed where Israel failed. So he's he's the definition. Of, he's, he's the loyal side of the covenant. He does everything the covenant asks. Even if, if you keep reading, he's baptized by John in the Jordan. John's like trying to talk. I, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? I'm not fit to untie your sandals. And what does Jesus say? It it should be done. We must carry out all that God requires. We've got to do this. But if you've been reading in Matthew, you know that John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, Jesus is sinless, but one of the things that he's doing is he's fully identifying with you and I under the curse. He's going through a baptism of repentance, not that he has anything that he needs to repent from, but because he is the God of all creation is in solidarity with you and with me. And where we were disloyal in the covenant, he carries that with him to the cross and he bears that burden. (laughs) There's no one like Jesus. He works where we've abandoned him. He works to keep our relationship intact jump to Romans 10. I'm just going to read this, but verse 5, Moses writes that the the laws, and and he's citing Deuteronomy. Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of his commands. We've been saying that all morning. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to the heaven to bring Christ down to earth. 
And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, but he's reading it in light of Christ. He says, in fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In other words, Jesus is the fulfillment of what this has all been pointing to But you and I don't have to be under the whole burden of the curse of the law because by faith we are in Christ and he's kept the law on our behalf. Or you jump to Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. So don't go back and try to keep the law to make yourself right with God. Because the the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. And the whole story of the Old Testament tells you you're not going to be able to do that. So it's clear no one can do this. The scriptures say it's through faith a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law. It is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Here it is. Christ has exhausted the curse. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, and it's written in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. He's pouring out his blessing. He has exhausted the curse. And the same blessing he promised Abraham is now open to all people who trust in Christ. Now we're open, and we'll talk more about this next week. We're open to receive the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, through faith. And then, of course, the biblical story comes full circle in Revelation chapter 2, verse 3. Christ has come at Christmas. He's died, resurrected, and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. But we believe and we pray Christ will come again. And 22, verse 3 says this, no longer will there be a curse upon anything. Don't you long for that day? No longer will they be a curse. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face. His name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever, free from a curse. Just living in love with one another. So let me close with this. God's disposition towards us is unconditional love. I hope you know that. But you and I are not exempt from the consequences of our decisions. And we talk a lot about discipleship. Discipleship is learning to go with the grain of love. Learning to go the way of Jesus, the grain of the universe. If you and I live for self-interest and we don't care about God or others, we're going to suffer the shards of self-inflicted wounds. And the wages of sin is death and God will give us over. And the consequences of sin are painful and you will reap what you sow. But know this, know this. Even when you're suffering the self-inflicted consequences of going against the grain of love, you're still loved by God. It doesn't mean you're exempt from the consequences. You may be the prodigal who's eating pig food when you could be at home with your father But no, there's never a moment in your life when you're not loved by God and he's waiting for you and his last word to you in Christ is always blessing. And that is good news. Amen? Let's pray. 
Jesus, we want to rest in this word that your heart towards us is love. But we want to hear Deuteronomy. This is one of the ways you communicate with us. And so I'm going to ask that, that you really would help us see the decisions that are before us even today. The decisions before us that are life and death, that are blessing and curse. Every one of us has blind spots where we are choosing death and it's, it's unleashing curse in our life. And I know we already kind of confessed together corporately, but maybe now there's an individual moment for us. Holy Spirit, maybe you've been working on our hearts and on our minds this morning, or maybe you'll continue to work on us as we walk out of this building this morning. But where we're choosing death and curse, would you open our eyes? And as was already said, we don't need to live in condemnation over this. If we can just turn to the cross and humbly repent and confess, I've been trying, I've abandoned you, God. I've been running after false gods. I've got this this money, mummy wrapped up in all my aspirations, but it's about hollow on the inside, and I need you to fill me with your life again. Make me whole. I'm running back to the Father. I've, 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 I've wandered, but I'm home. And just know God's disposition towards you is love, and he welcomes you home. And he wants, to, he wants to walk with you, and he wants to, and we'll talk more about this next week, but he wants to empower you with the Spirit so that you can choose good and you can choose life, and you can know blessing. God, would you help us? Spirit of God, would you help us? Choose life and choose blessing as individuals and as a people here at Crossview. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.